Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. How was everybody's Thanksgiving? Was it good? It's, it's, it came and went. It's crazy. And now it is, it's Christmas time. Like as soon as Thanksgiving is over, it's like Christmas is, is here. And so at our house, it's a really big deal. Actually, where, real quick, I want to, um, where where's Richard and Debbie Hodge? There they are. Can you guys stand up for one quick second? I want to tell you a quick story about this amazing couple. So I was actually really confused. Richard came up to me this morning, and it was like I saw him, and it was kind of like my, my brain wigged out a little bit. And I realized it's because I think maybe for the first time ever, I'm seeing him at church without his gray Usher T-shirt on. And I was a little like my mind just couldn't make it happen. And, and uh, the reason he's not in his gray Usher T-shirt is at the request of his wife that on their 40th wedding anniversary, he would sit with her in church. Today is Richard and Debbie Hodge's 40th wedding anniversary. Can you believe that? We love you guys. We honor you. So beautiful. What an amazing couple. So awesome. And you know, it's cool to me. You go ahead and grab a seat. Um, so yesterday they had a vow renewal celebration that I got to officiate. And it was amazing because I was there and we had um, so many people from East Lake Campus were there to celebrate with them. And as I was sitting with um, their son, Josh Hodge, who goes to our El Cajon campus, he reminded me, and I, I knew it, but I had forgotten that, um, that him and his wife, Christina, were on uh, two different people's vision card for two years in a row. So if, you, if you're new here or don't remember, every year at the beginning of the year, we have a vision card where we kind of write like what we're really believing God for for the year. And then on the back of that card, there's a space for three names. And everybody writes down the names of three people that you want to believe to see come to God, come to church. And so Josh and Christina were both on Monica Hernandez's um, vision card and Sean Bennett's vision card. And so then Josh and Christina came to church, and because of that, his parents came to church, and here they are celebrating 40 years with their church family. And I couldn't think of anything more fitting as we close out our evangelism series called Reach today than, than that story. It's so beautiful how um, the, the, the prayer and belief for, um, for a friend led to so many people coming to church and now being planted in our church family. We love you guys. One more time, give it up for Richard and Debbie Hodge, 40 years together. Amazing, amazing. And so um, we're... we're ending our REACH series and jumping into a series, our Christmas series called God With Us. And um, I'm breaking the rules. Oh, we already got a slide for it. Praise the Lord. Um, and I'm actually going to go ahead and just start the God With Us series a week early. And uh, maybe I'll get in trouble for it. I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And so the title of my message is God With Us. God With Us. So Christmas is here. It's, um, it used to be an ongoing fight in our household because Christmas to my wife is like everything. And to me, it was nothing. 
And so there was a big disparity in our marriage early on. And I'm, I'm coming around now. I'm, I'm into it. I, you know, we, we did the Christmas tree decoration thing this last week. And, and we didn't have a fight about it. First time, I think, in 13 years that we haven't fought in somehow, some way about the tree and all that. Yeah. What, what was that? Okay, well, I still have a month to screw it up. Is that what you're saying? No, that's rude. That's rude. It's not going to happen. But um, it's just always a thing, and it's, it's my fault, okay? I'm growing. I'm just a Scrooge. Historically, I have been. I'm not a Scrooge anymore. But um, I just, I don't know what, the biggest fight we've always had is around the decorating of the house, where you get out there, and you put the lights up, and you got to get the staple gun, and I don't know why, I just hate it. I don't know why, and I'm sorry, but it's true. I just don't like it. It's a beatdown. And this couple years ago, my son, uh, we were out in our um, in our house, and it was like, and this is, I, I know this is bad, okay? It was literally, it was like December 23rd, I think. And I'd finally, Katie had finally just like, was on me so much about getting our house, you know, get the lights outside. And I, I don't, anyway, it was bad. I waited all the way till like Christmas Eve Eve, and I'm like, fine! So I go out there and like begrudgingly, you know, I'm stapling these lights and da, da, da. And what made it worse is that our neighbor, the house we used to live in, in in Chula Vista, is like Clark Griswold, okay, with like nine million inflatable, you know, Santas and reindeers on the roof doing this and snow globes and like eight million bulbs of Christmas lights. I mean, it's just like you can see his house from space. And... Uh, Anyway, so that makes it even worse because I'm over there doing like one little strand of lights like around our like mantle, you know, lintel at the, the door and, and my son's outside and he's helping me and, and I'm already like just, you know, stapling like, damn, get this over with. And then my son, who was five, looks at me and says, hey, dad, um, do you think maybe next year you could work a little harder so that we could afford lights like the neighbor's? And it just so happened my wife was outside at that moment. And so I look over, and she just has her face buried in her hands, like just belly laughing. And so, anyway, this year I was waiting for my son to, you know, and he didn't. He was really nice. He, he didn't say anything. It was amazing. So, anyway, improvement in the Jaeger household. Praise the Lord. Come with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. John 17, and then um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, looking at the birth of Jesus. So John 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. So this is kind of the end of the story. We're jumping to the end of the story. And this is a prayer that Jesus prays right before he goes to the cross and he's crucified. It's like his last prayer between him and God. And he says, it says that Jesus spoke these words, John 17, verse one, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you as you have given, given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so it may not sound like much, but there's a pretty radical implication in there that it's possible to know God, that God can be known 
And that's actually what separates Christianity from every other world religion, every other faith. There is no other religion that, that um, supposes that you can know God in an intimate way, that you can have a direct relationship to him. The only world, in, in Islam, they, you know, they call him Allah the Merciful, and he's way off, you know, doing God's stuff, and hopefully, you know, on the day that I die, hopefully he, didn't, he doesn't have heartburn, he's not in a bad mood, and, and he decides on that, on that day to be merciful to me. And even in Judaism, where our faith is derived from, they, they, they speak of God, um, like if you read, even like in, 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 um, in Jewish writings in English, they, when they write the word Lord, it'll just say L space R-D. They don't, they don't actually write the O in Lord, because they believe that the name of the Lord is so holy that it can't be, can't be written out in, in, in full, which is, it's beautiful, it's reverent, I love it, but it, it makes God far off. And it's not, it's like, it's like God's way over there and we're down here. But in Christianity, we claim that you can actually know God, which is crazy, which is crazy. And the word know, if you look at um, the, the, where that word um, comes from, it means being able to recognize someone. And so, you know, if I say, you know, do you know so-and-so, what I mean is, have you met so-and-so? Could you recognize so-and-so out of a crowd if you saw them? Because yes, you can, because you know them. And so the question is, can you recognize God? Do you know him? Have you met him? And the only way that could be possible is if that at some point he was with us. If he was with us, and around Christmas time, we start to use a name for God that we don't really use the rest of the year, and it's the name Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel literally means God with us. And that's what separates Christianity from every other world religion is that we believe and know that God himself disclosed himself in the man, Jesus Christ, came down and dwelt among us so that we may know him. And I want to look at where this name Emmanuel comes from. So come with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. This is the very beginning of the New Testament. The, the Bible is broken up into two halves, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then the New Testament starts with four books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are what are called the four gospels. Those are the four books that have the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. Those are the authority on what Jesus did, what he said, who he was. And the very first of those four books is Matthew. And I want to look at the very beginning of the book of Matthew. This is the beginning of the beginning of the New Testament, okay? And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, it tells the story of, of Jesus' birth. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, you know what that means? She was found with child of the Holy Spirit, okay? Virgin birth. So Mary and Joseph hadn't, you know, but she found that she was pregnant. And the Holy Spirit came and, and uh, a baby began to grow in her belly. And then it says, in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, uh, to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. And so uh, it's, it's a little confusing because, you know, this angel comes and says, hey, you know, and it's a big deal in those days, like when your fiance falls pregnant and you haven't been with her, that's not a good look. Not a good look for Mary, not a good look for Joseph, but an ain't. So he decides, you know what, like, I don't want to make a public spectacle out of her. I don't want to put her to shame. So I'm just going to kind of find a way to unravel this engagement quietly. But an angel comes to him and says, don't do that because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And when this baby is born, I want you to call his name Jesus. And the name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. God saves. But then later he, you know, is talking, talking, and then he says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So if you're Mary and Joseph, you're like, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back. Which is it? It's the Savior of the world. We don't want to get this wrong. Is it Jesus? Is it Emmanuel? But if you read closely, it says that the angel tells them you, his parents, will name him Jesus. But then it says that they will call him Emmanuel. They Everybody else, us. And if you look all through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, through the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, there are examples after examples where he would do something amazing, where there was a storm, and he's on the Sea of Galilee, and he says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And then the Bible says that the disciples fall on their knees and say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Surely this is God with us. And so the Bible says that the angel tells him, you will name him, as mom and dad, you're going to name him Jesus, but everybody else is going to say, surely this is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. So if you're, if you're in here and your name is Manuel, come on, Emmanuel. And I have to give it to you Latinos. You're very, very bold with the naming of your children. There are, I don't know of any white boys named Jesus, but I know a bunch of Jesuses, okay? I don't know a lot of white guys named Emmanuel, but I know a lot of Manuels, and I just, I love it. You're just bold and say, you know what? The name that is above every other name, that's my son, Jesus. That's my son. I'm going to name my son Manuel, God with us. I love it. We go more for like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, just kind of the, the tier below. Still good, still apostles, you know, but anyway, Emmanuel, God with us. So those are my three points. God with us, point number two, God with us, and point number three, God with us. Point number one, God with us. It, it's, it is undisputed by anybody that there really was a man named Jesus Christ who lived 2,000 years ago and who was crucified on a cross. Everybody, that there's only, there's nobody that doesn't believe that's true. 
There really was a man. He's a real-life historical figure. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not fairy tale. Really was a man named Jesus Christ. And the, he did a lot of really crazy things. Now, there's a, the, you know, he claimed himself that he was God, which is pretty nuts. Now, there's been a lot of psychos over the years who have claimed to be God. So that's not like, that doesn't mean it's true necessarily. There's been a lot of people that have said that they were God and they were just crazy, right? But this guy, Jesus, said that he was God. There's a, a, an interaction that Jesus has with um, the religious leaders of the day. And um, it's found in John chapter 8, verse 56. It's going to be on the screen really quick. But I want you to read this interaction. He's, he's talking to um, these religious leaders. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet you have seen Abraham? And then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Which is, that's a crazy thing to say. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was, which even that would be crazy. But he said, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, I have no beginning. I never started. I have always been forever. That's a crazy thing to say. And that's why the Jews hated him. Because that word I am is where is the same name Yahweh. The name Yahweh, the name for God means I am that I am. And so it was just like a smack in the face to the Pharisees when he said, Before Abraham was Yahweh. That's wild. Okay, so Jesus claimed to be God. He forgave sins, which doesn't sound like a big deal maybe on the surface, but it's really, that is a big deal. Like if Jim, which he would never do, but if he did, got really upset with Manuel and punched Manuel right in the face. And Manuel was like, hey, Jim, why'd you do that? And I show up and I say, don't worry, Manuel, I forgive Jim. would be like, yeah, okay, but my face still hurts, and I'm mad at Jim. You can't forgive a sin unless it was committed against you. There's a beautiful book called The Sunflower, um, and uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the author. Um, it was a, a Jewish man that lived through the Holocaust, and there was uh, one day he was just kind of walking in, in line on his way to, you know, go to work or whatever it was, and um, an SS officer comes and just grabs him out of line and pulls him into this, this, uh, this room in this building, and laying on, on the bed is an, a young, like, 19-year-old SS officer who had been shot and was dying. And, um, and so they, had, they pulled this Jewish man in, and, uh, and this 19-year-old young man, as he's clearly not going to make it, on his way out, um, they, they say, hey, he, he, he just wanted to ask for forgiveness from, from a Jew. Can you talk to him for a second? And, and this 19-year-old um, young SS officer tells this, this Jewish man all of these terrible things that he had, that he had done, uh, the, the, the families that he had murdered, all these terrible things. And so on his deathbed, as he's about to die, he asks this random Jewish man, Can, will you forgive me? And um, it's, a, it's a really, um, it's hard to read, but it's a really, really great book. And what he ends up saying is, I can't 
because you didn't do those things to me. I can't forgive you. Only the people that you have wronged can forgive you. So when Jesus looks at the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven, that's a crazy thing to say because what he's saying is every sin you've committed in your life, whether it was you hurting somebody else, whatever, ultimately it was me. It was me that you sinned against, but your sins are forgiven. So by Jesus going around and forgiving people's sins, it's him claiming to be God. Now again, just because he claimed to be God doesn't mean anything. A lot of people have claimed to be God. That's not the point that matters. What matters is that everybody else believed him. That's the part that's crazy. That's the part that you have to come to terms with is that even Jesus' closest followers believed that he was God. Every single one of the original 12 apostles except for John was martyred. They all died and they all died badly. And if it was all just kind of made up and, you know, they, you know, Jesus was like a good moral teacher and a really nice guy. And after he died, they decided, hey, I think we could make a world religion out of this. This is going to be awesome. It'll be really cool. It'll be a way. For, well, then you're not going to die terribly and be tortured for something that you made up. Right? The, thing, the part that's crazy is not that Jesus claimed to be God. It's that everybody believed that he was God. And one of my favorite case studies about this is his brother, James. Okay, so Mary and Joseph, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Jesus was born from Mary, but it was before Mary and Joseph had come together, virgin birth. Well, then afterwards, they had other children, and one of Jesus' brother was a man named James. And um, I want you to read with me John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It's going to be on the screen. It says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he, seeks, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world." For even his brothers did not believe him. And so what's happening in this interaction is, you know, Jesus is starting to make quite a stir in his public ministry. And there's a lot of um, Jewish people in Jerusalem that want him dead. Okay, so he's up in Galilee, which is um, up at the Sea of Galilee, a good bit north of Jerusalem. And he's like, I'm just going to hang here because everybody's a little, it's a little hot right now. It's a little hot. So I'm just going to hang up here. And his brothers say, to, they try to encourage him to go to Jerusalem, basically saying, there you're probably going to die, so go ahead. If you really are the Messiah, if you really do all these great miraculous things, why don't you go to Jerusalem? And they were mocking him. His brothers, James being one of them, mocked his brother Jesus, and it says that even his brothers did not believe in him. Okay, now, then we read in the Bible the book of James, written by Jesus' brother, James the one who didn't believe him. And in James chapter 1, verse 1, it starts that says, James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. To me, that's crazy. Because if you want to convince somebody that you're God, the hardest people to convince would be the people that live with you. They see all your imperfections. They see every detail. If I tried to tell my wife I'm God, she would say, you can't even hang your towel up after you shower. 
you are not God. My wife would be the hardest person to convince because she knows me. She knows all my imperfections. She knows everything that I'm not. But somehow Jesus was able to convince his brother who originally didn't believe in him to where James would later write, James, a slave of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine writing that about your brother or sister? I I am your slave. I worship you. Like something crazy must have happened. And it's not in the Bible, but there's a historical record of how James died. So James uh, became the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the, the highest leaders in the early church. And they called him James the Just because he was such a moral man. Uh, he was uh, a, a virtuous church leader. Everybody respected him, had a sterling reputation in the early church, um, and was, uh, you know, had his worked there as a church leader in, um, in Jerusalem. And so uh, we, there's not a biblical record of this, but a lot of early uh, Jewish historians wrote about about the day that James died. And so the Pharisees, the church leaders, they come to James and they say, hey, you're leading our people astray by telling them all this stuff about your brother, Jesus Christ. You've got to tell them that he's not the Messiah, that he's not anything, that he was just a a guy. So they actually take James all the way to the top, to the roof of the temple, and they hold him there and they say, I want you to tell all these people that Jesus is, is, is nothing, that he's just your brother, he's just a guy. And as they're holding him up there on the very top of the temple, James shouts, why do you ask me about Jesus, the son of man? He sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power, and he will soon come on the clouds of heaven. And they're so enraged that they throw James off of the roof of the temple. He falls all the way down and lands, doesn't die. He breaks both of his legs. And as he's laying there maimed with both of his legs broken, he begins to pray. And he actually prays the exact same prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And prays that as they stone him to death. And that's how how James, the brother of Jesus, died. So my question is, how do you go? from mocking your brother and not believing him and thinking he's crazy to writing, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ and dying on his behalf. And I'll tell you why. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through seven. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, for I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, after that, he was seen by James. The reason is because James saw his brother raised from the dead, saw him with his own eyes, watched him die on the cross, watched him be buried in a tomb, and three days later raised again and met his brother walking around raised to life. And that will convince you of just about anything. And so that's how we know that Jesus really was God, that he really was buried in the ground, that really did die on a cross, was buried, and three days later raised from the dead. Because what Paul says is that he was first seen by Peter, then by the 12 apostles. After that, he was seen by, other, by over 500 other Christians, of whom 
the greater part remain to the present. So when Paul was writing this, he was saying, if you've got doubts, just go ask the people that saw him. Half of them are still alive. And then it says that he was also seen by James, then by all of the apostles. Jesus was God with us. Point number two, God with us. So the God of the universe discloses himself in a man born in a manger as a little baby. But why? Colossians 1.15 says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what the infinite creator of the universe is like, what are his preferences, what is, he, what is he like, what is he not like, what does he love, what does he not love, the way you know is by looking at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that's how God is with us, that he disclosed himself in the life of Jesus Christ and that we can actually be with him. We can know God. We can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, that he can speak to you, that you can speak to him, that you can hear from him. And it, it is not only possible but indeed should be common in your life, if you're a Christian, that God speaks to you. And if you're in here and you're like, gosh, you know, like if I self-reflect, like I just don't know, you know, it's happened a couple times, but it's, I, I will tell you that, that it gets more and more frequent the closer you get to him. And maybe just a really simple question is if you're, if you're in here and you're like, gosh, like I just, you know, I, I wouldn't say that that's my experience. You know, maybe, maybe sometimes I maybe think I'm hearing from him. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, maybe it's happened like once or twice, but it's not a, a common thing. A question I would have for you is, do you ask him to speak to you? And the Bible is filled with people that just ask God for stuff. God is not afraid of people's doubts. The Bible is filled with people that doubted him. Filled. Gideon, God shows up and says to this guy in the Old Testament named Gideon, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, go in this might of yours, you will defeat the Midianites as one man. And Gideon's like, okay, that sounds cool, but I'm not totally sure. If it's really you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay a blanket out before I go to sleep. I'm going to go to sleep, and if I wake up and the blanket is wet, not dry, then I'll know that it's you. So he does exactly that. Lays the blanket out, goes to sleep. And it wasn't like God was like, oh, really? You doubt me? Well, I'm moving on. Have fun threshing your wheat in a wine press for the rest of your miserable life. I'm going to go find another Gideon. He doesn't do that. Like Gideon wakes up and he goes outside and the blanket's wet. But what I love is Gideon was like, uh, I think it was just the dew. I'm going to do it again. This time... I'm going to put the blanket out, but I want to wake up and it's going to be dry. And again, I love it. God's not, doesn't just like, he says, okay, sure, if that's what you need, and does it. I love when Thomas, the apostle, he hears that Jesus has been raised again to life, and he says, unless I can put my fingers through the holes in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And it wasn't like Jesus was like, okay, cool, I guess I'm rolling with 11 now. Thomas, you're out. 
Jesus reached his hand out to Thomas and said, if that's what you need, go ahead. Jesus, God, answers people's doubts. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, at the end of his life is in prison, and he's so beat down, like things aren't working out like he thought he would, and he sends his messengers to Jesus and says, are you really the one, or should we look for another? And then Jesus says, go tell John what you see and hear, that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf have their ears opened. He answered John's doubt. He gave him evidence, like real evidence. Do you ask God to speak to you? A couple years ago, um, it was, uh, I think it was 2021, we, we um, back then, our Awaken conference was in, uh, was in July, and um, we were releasing our very first uh, music album. It was called uh, Lionheart, and um, I, I had a big part of kind of managing the project and doing all kinds of things, and it was just crazy getting this thing over the finish line, and then the album released on, on the Friday night of conference, and then Katie and I were, were leading that night of the conference, and I was doing the offering message, and it was just a, it was a really, really crazy season, crazy couple of months, getting up to the very end, and it was just wild. And then that Friday night was even crazier, making sure everything goes off without a hitch, and then we're up on the stage and doing all the things. And then it was like Saturday morning, I was just like, <sighs> and finally kind of had a moment where I could be in conference. And it was just like, I didn't even have a chance to think about anything. And so I was in, in worship Saturday morning, and I just like hadn't even had a chance to to even like ask God like what I wanted out of the conference or what I was believing for, anything like that. And so I just was just there in worship and and um, I actually pulled out my phone in worship. Okay, this would have been, you know, I don't know, it was like 10 a.m. or something like that. And I typed in my phone, which I've never done before, and I asked God to do something for me. And in my notes, I just typed, um, tell me that it's not the end, it's just the beginning. I don't even really know why I did that. I just, it was just, whatever, just a thing. And worship was going, it was awesome. And, and the conference was amazing. Like Pastor uh, Mike Maiden, who's this, this crazy guy, this pastor in, in Arizona that has an amazing prophetic gift, prophesied over Katie and I. And it was like, I mean, it was, it filled me up. Like, I'm good, good to go. For a couple years, I can run on that. And, um, but he didn't actually say it's not the end, it's just the beginning. But I didn't really care because it was like, I just felt so filled up. I felt like God saw me. I'm good to go. And then later that night at about 11 p.m., I get a random text message from someone who doesn't even go to this campus, who I talked to maybe once a year. It was Travis Greeno. Anybody remember Travis Greeno? And out of nowhere, Travis Greeno texts me and says, hey, I love this album so great. And to think it's not the end, it's just the beginning. How crazy is that? But I made the space for God to speak to me because I asked him to. And so my question for you is, do you make space for him to speak to you? Do you ask him? Just ask him questions. What's the, what's the worst that's going to happen? Ask for signs. The Bible says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. And a sign, you know, if you're getting on the highway, a sign says, you know, go this way for I-5 north, go this way for I-5 south. Signs direct you. And it's totally fine to ask God, hey, God, give me a sign. Totally fine. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. But I really love it when he does. It's awesome. Do you ask him to speak to you? The fact that God is with you means that no matter what you face, you can face it. Because he is with you. 
And the Bible is filled with, with that language, God with you. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I love that. You know, we, we, we read that verse at, at every funeral. Like, I've, I've done several funerals in my life, and, and that verse always comes up. Because what it means is, and I, and I love it because King David doesn't, King David is, is who wrote that psalm, and he doesn't say, um, yea, though you keep me from the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, yea, though you transport me through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though you convert the valley of the shadow of death into a field of wildflowers and grassy meadows. It doesn't say any of that. It says, yea, though I walk through it, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And the promise of the Bible is not that God is going to, you know, scoop you up and keep you from trouble and, get, and give you life on easy street. The promise of the Bible is that no matter what you face, you'll be able to do it because God is with you. Psalm 91 says that I, God, will be with you in the day of trouble. Joshua 1.9, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous for I am with you. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, for I am with you. Matthew 28, when he gives the great commission, he says, go make disciples of all nations. He ends it by saying, and I am with you always, even till the end of the, na- of the age. John 14 says, you know him, for he dwells with you. A couple years ago, I uh, woke up in the middle of the night and just was like, oh, man, I don't feel really good. And Woke Katie up and was like, you know, kind of just laid there for a few minutes. Like, oh, that's probably fine, whatever. And then just was like, oh, this, this doesn't feel fine. So I woke Katie up and, and uh, Katie was like, you're just constipated. Go to sleep. <laughs> I was like, Katie? No, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't say that. But she was like, oh, you know, let's just give it a little bit of time. And so I kind of laid in bed a little bit and was just like, gosh, like this, I'm, this, 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 you just kind of, you know when something's not right. You know, you know when it's just like, Whatever upset tummy. This was like, this, this feels different. And so finally I'm like, okay, this is getting a little more acute and, and serious. And so I made the huge mistake of Googling my symptoms. Okay. You never do that ever. If you go to WebMD for anything, you have stage four cancer immediately. Okay. If you're like my ankle hurts, then you have ankle cancer. I'm really sorry. So I made the mistake of Googling my symptoms and sure enough, you know, it must be stage four pancreatic cancer or something like that. But I did, it was, it was kind of like, okay, this sounds like, like appendicitis maybe and, you know, kind of self-diagnosed. And Anyway, I go to the, finally I'm like, you know what, like we should probably go to the emergency room. Go to the emergency room, do the MRI thing. And, and then there was a, and I don't remember, I think it was during, I think it was during COVID. And so you couldn't be there. I don't remember. Anyway, for whatever reason, after the MRI, I get wheeled back to my, in my super awesome uh, hospital gown. Like, we need to get somebody, like, how, how are those still the same after, like, 200 years? Can we, anyway. And so, um, I'm just, I get wheeled back, and the doctor says, okay, you know, give us some time. We're, we're going to get the imaging done. We'll take a look. And, um, and I say this really carefully because I've been blessed with really good health my whole life. And I know there's many of you and many people you know that have faced very, very real and serious health challenges. But I know that for me in that moment when the, the doctor kind of went away and said, said, we'll be back in a bit with your results, I was just there alone with my thoughts for about 45 minutes. And, you know, you do just start to wonder, like, 
what if it's something really bad? And that's happened before where the doctor goes off and comes back and says, hey, like, I've got some, some news that, that's hard to hear. And so I just remember just kind of being there alone with my thoughts and just realizing that no matter what, God is with me. And that means no matter what, I can face whatever it is. And it turns out it was just appendicitis. They put me to sleep, took it out, all good, no big deal. But I, it doesn't matter what it is. God is with us. And there are stories of, of martyrs and throughout the, the, the story of the church of, of men and women who died terribly. And there's stories of them singing songs and praising God as they were burned alive on the stake. Like one of the worst ways you can go. And how? How? Because God is with us. It doesn't matter what you face because God is with us. And point number three, God with us. God with us. Now notice that it's not God with me. You need the church, okay? Anybody that tells you, oh, I don't do the church thing, me and God, we got our, we got our thing, it's like, no, no, you don't. Because it's not God with me, it's God with us, okay? You need us. I need us. I was just so moved yesterday at um, Richard and Debbie's 40th um, vow renewal just because it was us, so many of the people that I love were there to celebrate with this beautiful couple. And I just was like, gosh, like this is, this is the church, like celebrating the, the highs of life, the lows of life together. Like us, it's not God with me, it's God with us. And that's why the church is the most important institution on the planet. I promise you, no matter what, Awakened Church will never, ever close its doors, no matter what. I don't care what governmental mandate comes down from whoever. We will never, ever shut the doors of this place because there is nowhere more important than the house of God. And here's where it gets a little hard at the very end. It's not God with me. It's also not God with all. It's God with us. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. That's one of the main objections that people have with Christianity is because of its exclusivity. That Christians claim that there is absolute truth and that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father unless it's through me. That's, I mean, it's hard to get around that. And you can't, and that's one of the, again, the, the other problems that, that, that comes with, with exploring the life of Jesus is that he made claims like that. He said, I'm God, and no one gets to the Father except through me. That's very exclusive. No one. And a lot of people have a really hard time with that. You know, it's, okay, well, what about all of the, 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 the Muslims on the other side of the world? What about the little kid in Madagascar who never had a chance to, to know Jesus? And, da, 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 and, and, and that's where our mind can go. The Bible says, Jesus says, that on the last day, there's going to be people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
You know, I'm a very big fan of the rock and roll band U2. I say I love you too, but it gets confusing because it sounds like I'm saying I love you too, which I do, I love you. But I'm talking right now about you too, the rock band. I love you too. And if you don't love you too, then you're disillusioned. Okay. Because they have pioneered just about everything in modern rock music. They've won more Grammys than any other rock and roll band in history. And I... I know a lot about Bono, okay? I know a lot about him. I've even been in the presence of Bono. Katie and I at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, were there. I had the best seats in the house right in front of the front of house sound booth. And I was there in his presence. I've even been emotionally moved in the presence of Bono. I don't know why that's funny. I feel like that's blasphemy for all of you that just laughed. I stood there when Bono sang Amazing Grace a cappella, and tens of thousands of people sang along. And as soon as the verse ended, the guitar riff for Where the Streets Have No Name started, and I cried like a baby. It was beautiful. I've even been emotionally moved in the presence of Bono. But if you go to Bono and you say, hey, how's Mike Yeager doing? He's gonna say, who? Because the reality is I don't know Bono and he doesn't know me. And listen to me, you can know a lot about God. A lot of people do. Martin Luther, the, the father of the Protestant Reformation, didn't become a Christian until years after he was a seminary teacher teaching the book of Romans in seminary. He knew everything there was to know about the Bible, everything there was to know about God, but it wasn't until years into being a seminary professor that he actually had an encounter with God and met God. There's a lot of people who know a lot about God. There's a lot of people that have even, even been in God's presence. Have you ever just like, seen a sunset, like stood on, on a mountaintop or been in, in a forest or just whatever and just been like in awe at God's creation. That's beautiful. It's amazing. That's being in God's presence. Maybe you've even been moved to tears in the presence of God. Maybe you've just, I don't know, like looked out at the expanse of the ocean and, and just been so taken by how the waves never sleep, they never stop, always crashing, always seeking the shoreline. Maybe you've even choked up and had tears in your eyes being moved at the beauty and the majesty of God, but it doesn't mean that you know him in the same way that I don't know Bono, even though I've been in his presence, I've been emotionally moved in his presence, I don't know him, he doesn't know me. And so my question this morning as we close is, do you know him? Have you met him through a relationship with Jesus Christ? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that that's all it takes. That's what bridges the gap between you and God. Why don't we all bow our heads and just close our eyes as we come to a close. And the book of Revelation 
chapter 3 says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And if we'll open the door to him, then he'll come in and he'll dine with us and us with him. And I love that because it says, if we open the door, God doesn't just barge into your heart. And why would he? That's not a relationship. That's not love. If when I first met Katie, I would have just clubbed her on the head and drug her back to my cave by my ponytail and told by her ponytail and told everybody it's because we, we were in love. That's not love. Love is a mutual giving of yourself to another and them reciprocating, them doing the same. And that's why it says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if you make the decision to open the door, then he will come in and dine with you and you with him. So if you're in here today and you know that that's you, maybe you know a lot about God, maybe you've grew up in church, but you know that you, you've never actually surrendered your life to him. You've never actually said, you know what, God, like I'm gonna take a crazy step of faith and say, I believe in you. I want you to, to have the, to, to take the wheel. I wanna give my life to you. I wanna call you my, my Lord. Whatever you say, I'm gonna do. Whatever you ask of me, I'm gonna obey. Maybe. Maybe you're in here and you, you once walked with God. You used to walk with him, but, but life got in the way, kicked you down, beat you down, or whatever. Maybe you're just in here today and you're far from God. Here's what we're gonna do. Here in a second, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna count to three. And when I get to three, if that's you in any one of those three categories of people, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air and I'm gonna walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And this isn't about you know me embarrassing you or, or anything like that. This is actually just about you making a, a, a physical, uh, just a, a physical sign saying, God, yes, I, I'm serious about this. Is, this is for real. You know, at Richard and Debbie's 40th um, vow renewal at the very end, I got to say, and Richard, you may kiss your bride. And there was a kiss, a physical sign that sealed all of the vows that they had spoken to one another. And in the same way, when you raise your hand, that's just you saying, God, like, what, 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 what I want from you, the, the decision to make you my Lord, yes, I'm serious about this. That's all it is. And so if that's you, here in a second, I'm gonna count to three, and I want you to shoot your hand up. So if you're in any one of those three categories of people, here we go, on the count of three, one, two, three. Who needs to make that decision? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, who else? I see that hand. Who else needs to make that decision today? Awesome, awesome, in the back, I see you guys. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Awesome, I see your hand over here in the back. Great, anybody else need to make that decision today? God is knocking on the door of your heart, waiting for you to open the door to him. Anybody else need to make that decision? I do need to close just a couple more seconds. Am I waiting on anybody else? Awesome, I see that hand, so proud of you, so proud of you. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Awesome, awesome. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Can we give a big round of applause for everybody that raised their hand? I'm so proud of you. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing. So here's what we're gonna do, um, and, and again, I'm not doing this to, to embarrass you or anything like that, um, but I, I wanna, there was, I don't know, probably eight or nine of you that raised your hand, and I wanna, I wanna do what I said I wanna do. I wanna pray with you personally. And so it's not gonna you know, work very well for me to get to all of you, and so I'm gonna ask you to do something really brave here in just one second. I'm gonna hop down off this stage, and I want you to actually make your way out of your seat and walk down here to the front so I can shake your hand and meet you, and then I'm gonna walk you through that prayer that I said I would. And so if, if you were sitting next to somebody that raised their hand, would you offer to walk down here with them? But come on, church, can we just celebrate and cheer and clap as everybody comes down? Come on, so proud of you guys. Come on, make your way down, make your way down. Come on, let's go. Every promise you have spoken, I receive. 
round of applause for everybody up here. So amazing. This is why we do church. Hi, sorry, I didn't shake your hand. Good to see you. And um, so here's what we're going to do. Um, here in a second, I'm going to walk you through a really, really simple prayer. And, and just know that we don't do this to embarrass you or make you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I came to church and I got to come down to the front. It's nothing like that. You know, when um, I heard somebody say one time that uh, if you stay where you are, you run the risk of staying where you are. And there's something about coming down to the front and saying, you know what? I'm making a public stand that from this day forward, things are going to be different. Things are going to be different. And I'm telling you, they actually are going to be different. I've been following God now for about 15 years. And um, I was just an absolute mess when I first met him and did exactly what you're doing. And, and what God has done with my simple yes is amazing. I know that the same is going to be true for you, that there's things that God is going to do through you that are going to blow your mind. That there's things that you actually didn't even, like if I would have asked you a year ago, give me the, the, the greatest, if, if you could have anything in the world you want, what would it be? What God is going to do with your life, you wouldn't even have known to ask him. And that's my experience. If you would have asked me, you know, 15 years ago, what, if you could dream up the, the best life in the world, what would it look like? I, you know, I would have said something like, I want to be a billionaire and have a big yacht or something like that. And, and um, I, w I wouldn't even have known to ask for the things that I, I, I wouldn't even have known that I could ask for inner peace, for what the Bible calls a peace that surpasses all understanding. I didn't even know that was the thing I could ask for, but I got it. I didn't know that God, I, I didn't know that I could ask for a, a purpose, a destiny, for an assignment, for things to do that have eternal impact. I didn't even know that those things I could ask for but God gave them to me. And I know that the same is going to happen for every single one of you. So here's what we're going to do. Let's all bow our heads. and I want you guys to just repeat this prayer after me. And everybody in the building is going to pray this prayer alongside of you so you don't feel like you're doing it alone. So come on, church. Let's all say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today, I repent of all of my sins. And I know that the blood of Jesus cleanses me of all unrighteousness. Today I declare you have a destiny for me, an assignment for me. Heaven is my home, God is my father, and I am your child. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.